Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you at our McKinney campus, at our Hazlitt campus, maybe here at our video venue at Keller. Those of you watching online, would you join me in welcoming those who are watching with us? So glad to be with you all as we're continuing this unshakable series. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Jed. I serve on our teaching team here. Excited to be continuing this unshakable series. We love these series because it's a way for all of us to grow together, to to grow in our understanding of God's word, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, to grow in our ability to love and serve others. We always ask you, hey, we don't just give you cool charts and guides and things for you to study. We'd say, hey, what we'd really love for you to do is get in a group with people and talk about how this impacts our real lives, because that's what it means to be a Christian. We don't just observe, we don't just watch a few people uh, uh, on a platform. We get in the game, and you guys have done that like you always do. And it's amazing to see what God can do in the life of a person who's willing. I was thinking this week and talking with our small groups team about Chris and Losi. And Chris and Losi are leading small groups. And couple, last year, Chris did a It's Worth It group at work, and he was like, I don't know if I'm qualified or if I know enough, but I'm going to step out and try. And he was amazed. Uh, with the guys at work, their ability to talk through what he was talking about. And so he told his wife, you need to do this. You need to jump in. She's like, I don't know if I can do it. Both of their lives have been hugely transformed by being here at Milestone. God's done amazing things in them. And so they said, well, if he could do it for us, he could do it for someone else. And so Losi stepped out and she was a little nervous, but she led an unshakable group and it's been going great. She was not sure anybody would show up to her group, but they came and they were willing to talk and you know, a couple weeks ago, we were in this lesson on forgiveness. Losi could have never imagined this was going to happen. One of the ladies in her group been divorced for six years. But she heard that message and something in her, God began to say, you need to forgive. You need to re-engage in that relationship. And after six years of being divorced, this woman and her husband are in the process towards being healed and reconciled. Think what God can do. That wasn't... A professional counselor, we believe in professional counselors. That wasn't a pastor, we believe in pastors. That was an everyday, ordinary, average follower of Jesus who said, God, I'm just gonna see what you might do. And it's amazing what God can do when his people just take a step. So thank you for being that kind of a church. Thank you for being willing to step out and put yourself out there because life after life after life is changed when we do what Jesus asks us to do and advance his kingdom. Well, we're gonna continue this week Talking about a subject that may be difficult, you may have, those of you who like to look ahead, you may have seen your guide, we're going to talk about this idea of the already not yet kingdom, meaning Jesus said it has come, but there's a portion of it that's yet to come. It's here, but it's not here. And and we thought maybe the best way to describe how do you relate to that is a word you may not like. I don't really like it that much in my life, although my life is filled with it, and that word is tension. There's tension in you. There's tension in me. There's tension in our physical bodies. Anybody getting older? You have to stretch more. When you're young, you never stretch for anything. The other day, I went to play pickleball with my son. He's 17. We played like seven games. Now, I won all the games, but anyways, he... um, (laughs) 
He's like, Dad, are you done? I was like, son, I'm working hard over here. I don't know if you know that. So we go home. I was like, it's time to stretch. He's like, well, he just humored me. He was like, okay, Dad, I'll stretch with you. So we put on like a 10-minute full-body stretch. And he's going, Dad, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I can't feel anything. How are you doing, Dad? I was like, oh, give me a minute. I'm filled with tension. We have tension in our physical bodies. We have tension in our emotion. We have maybe tension in our home. Maybe there's tension in our workplace. We don't like it. You're like, what do you mean by tension? Well, I mean a stretching. Uh, I mean a stretching towards health, a stretching towards balance, a stretching towards equilibrium. Anybody ever been in a season of stretching where you feel like, man, God, can you give me a break? I feel like you keep pulling me and pulling me. And you feel like, okay, we do realize that without tension, we don't grow. You want to grow. You want to grow in your family. You want to grow in your relationship with God. But there's really no way to grow without being stretched. We don't like that. I don't know about you, but I have a little bit of the flair for the dramatic. My wife will ask me, how's it going? I'll be like, you know what? I think the Lord's forsaken me. (laughs) She's like, what happened? I was like, stuck in traffic again. Can you believe that? It's like, man. Satan hates me. She's like, why do you say that? Well, all six of my first round draft picks on my fantasy team are out. How could the Lord let that happen? I'm in a crisis of faith. No, we, 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 we interpret things like, okay, if everything's going good, that means it's all good. No bad. But life doesn't work that way. Good news always comes with bad news. How many of you are the kind of person like me who if someone says, I got good news and I got bad news, which do you want first? Bad news, because it's all like, let me, I don't want the chance of ruining the good news by not knowing the bad news. I can't enjoy the good until I find out the bad. So good news always comes with bad news. Give me the bad news first. And that tension can make things awkward because good news and bad news almost always happen together. I was thinking about this the other day. I was at a basketball game. Love going to basketball games. And it was an exciting game, sold out, big event, about as exciting as a regular season basketball game can get. And we were at the Mavs game, and so they cut to commercial in the first quarter. Everyone's excited, the crowd's amped, and they cut to a scene. Maybe you've seen this at a sporting event, maybe you never have, but they cut to a scene, and the first thing you see in the scene is Champ. He's the Mavs mascot. He's fun. He brings the party wherever he goes. And when they cut to Champ in the stands, Champ was holding a sign, and it took us a minute to read what was on the sign, but the sign said, a woman's name, will you marry me? And all of a sudden, while Champ's holding the sign, he's like happy and dancing, the dude gets down on one knee, and everybody's like, oh man, it's about to happen. Look at this beautiful Hallmark moment. And so he's like this, and we can't hear her because we're just watching, and then she's over here, and she hits him with this one classic move, oh my gosh, like that, right? And so we're like, man, it's going to, wait till they tell their grandkids. He goes, then she leans in and whispers something to his ear. I don't know what she said. She whispered something in his ear, and then she ran up the aisle and out of the arena, and he went like this, and then they just cut away. Now, no one in our section could move on. They're like, we can't play basketball. The lady behind us is like, what are they doing starting the game? We need to know what happened to those people. It was like watching a Hallmark movie in reverse. I was like, oh man. The lady behind me is like, yep, there's no way they're coming back from that one. I was like, whoa. So I don't know who you are right now. I relate to this poor brother. He put himself out there. He experienced a level of tension he wasn't prepared for. Like, I remember when I got engaged, I went down on one knee, but I was smart. There was nobody in the room. 
<laughs> and so she did the same move. She hit me with this, and I was like, is that a yes? And she kind of just nodded her head, right? So tension, it makes life difficult. Bad news happens with good news. How do we respond from that? So good can turn so bad so quickly. And I know we're laughing about it, but when we go to God's word, maybe you can relate to this, because this is, I think, all of us at some level can relate to this idea. Here's why tension is so difficult. If Jesus preached the kingdom had come, and he sent the disciples to preach that the kingdom had come, and the kingdom means the rule and reign of God has come, why is the world still so messed up? How do we explain that? How do you manage that tension? If you've ever felt that, if you've ever felt like, God, I thought you were on your throne. God, I thought you were in control. If you're in control, why is this happening in the world? Why is this happening in our nation? Why is this happening in our city? Why is this happening in my family? And it's very easy to feel that way. And if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. Actually, you're in good company because people throughout all of scripture have felt that way. They couldn't figure out how do we make sense of this? In fact, in the book of Psalms, there are more than 16 occasions where they sing these songs that have these two words, how long, how long, God, will you, will you turn a deaf ear to our prayer? How long, God, will the wicked thrive? Lord, how long will the righteous suffer? How long, how long? I don't know if you've ever sang a how long song, but it's a painful place to be. You're like, God, are you up there? Are you listening? Do you care? What's happening in my life? You know, the scholars and theologians have a name for this problem. They call it, really fancy word, they call it theodicy. And here's what it means. If God's all good and all powerful, how can there still be evil in the world? And there's so many ways that we could try to solve that puzzle. We could go philosophically. We could go theologically. It becomes difficult. And, and, and the truth is, we don't always even want the answer. I don't know if Hazlitt and McKinney, you've thought about this, but it's like, we, we, we have high expectations for God. We're like, God, we, we don't want you to be a kind of God who forces people to worship you. You gotta give people room. And then we also, at the same time, wanna be a God of like, God, we don't want you to allow any evil to happen in the world, but if he doesn't force, if he doesn't make us obey, we all know human beings end up making bad choices, and those bad choices have consequences, and many times we're fine with those consequences until they come to us. We put God in this no-win situation. And I would say the best way to solve this is not trying to theologically or intellectually conquer the ideas and explain why, but it's to do as we see over and over in scripture, to lean in relationally, to trust him. See, because here's another uncomfortable truth. You ever notice how there are things that are difficult? I was feeling for the weathermen this week. Maybe in Hazlitt and McKinney, you can relate to that. It's hard to be a weatherman at DFW, right? <laughs> Because they live in that tension between, why are you trying to scare us and telling that the end time storm is coming this week and you're making us get in our storm shelter, right? They're like, why do you scare us all the time? You're trying to drive up ratings, you evil weather people. And then if they don't, they're like, why did you tell us it was going to be so bad, right? Like, there's no safe place to be a weather guy. So pray for your weather, man. That's free. That's not even part of the message. <laughs> but think back to this, okay? This is fascinating to me. We want God to explain why bad things happen in our lives. It's the book of Job. 
Job's wife says, curse God and die. Job's friends are like, there must be secret sin in your life. And Job's like, I just want God to tell me. I just want to see him face to face. I want a chance to talk about this. And then when God shows up, God never explains to Job, well, it was really Satan that did this, or I was just testing you. God just says, Job, are you God or am I God? And here's the subtle thing that we all have to come to grips with. When we say, God, I'll only serve you if you explain to me why you allowed this to happen in my life, he's no longer God, we are. The greatest benefit that God can give you is not an explanation. It's not to solve who's to blame for what's happening in your life. The greatest gift he can give you in your pain, in your tension, in your difficulty is his presence himself. When he comes to be with you, when he comes to be with me in our tension, that's the greatest way he can love and serve us. And the great thing about Jesus is he has never stopped meeting us in those places. Let's look now, Luke chapter 23, verse 35. This is a complex passage of scripture. I'm gonna just give you some of the high points. I think many of you probably remember. Let me just give you the scene. This is actually some of the last moments of Jesus on the cross. Now, if you're not familiar, Jesus came and did ministry for about three years. Throughout the course of his ministry, what he would say to his disciples is, at some point I'm gonna to go to Jerusalem and die. Now, the disciples did not like that idea. Peter specifically would say, God, may it never be. And one day when he said that, Jesus actually said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because I'm going. That's where we're, anybody who thinks I'm not going is on the wrong team. But they did what you and I do. They interpreted it with like, if bad stuff's happening, the kingdom can't be advancing. And so we get to this moment, and in this moment now, he, he's, he's gonna die. You know, it's, you may not realize this crucifixion was the most horrible, public, horrific way that a human being could be killed. It was done always on a public road where there was lots of foot traffic so everyone could see. It was so humiliating a Roman citizen couldn't be crucified. And so Jesus suffers this death with attached to him as we're gonna see in a moment. The reason they killed him wasn't because he was a spiritual or moral teacher. It wasn't because he claimed to be from God. It was simply because he claimed to be a king. And because he claimed to be a king, the soldiers mocked him and the Romans tried to let him go, but the, the Jewish leaders knew what he was really saying was, I'm the promised Messiah, the Son of God. And so all these reasons to get him, this is the moment. Talk about tension. Talk about the tension is so great here. The Bible says that the ground began to shake, that the sky changed colors. There is no greater moment of tension in all of Scripture. And let's see what happens here. Luke chapter 23, verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. They put that on his cross because he really believed it and that was really the crime that he was being punished for. You, you probably have never thought about this, but most of us are familiar with a cross that looks like jewelry. Most scholars would say the cross probably looked closer to a T because they always put a plaque or they always put a notification on the reason why. Remember, crucifixion is public. They put the reason why everyone would, would understand why this person 
was suffering this fate. Now, you're like, Jed, why are you belaboring this point? Think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're one of the disciples, you're like, here's the guy you've been following for three years. Remember, remember what we talked about last week. Here's the guy who said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things are added unto you. You have to come to grips with the fact that you're looking at your savior on a cross with the title that says, this is the king of the Jews. What the Roman Empire is saying, you better be sure before you say Jesus is my king instead of Caesar is my king, that you know what you're saying because this is where that road could lead. So they were all grappling with how could this happen? How could this be God's plan? But look what it goes on to say. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's mocking him. It's a pretty common response. I don't know if you've noticed this. Most people in their pain especially if it's near the end of their life, you'd like to think that in people's pain, they would get softer. Most people in their pain, they get harder. They get more angry, especially as they get older, which is what makes the second reaction so extraordinary. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now look at this, one of the most extraordinary, simple little prayers in the whole Bible. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Think of the simplicity of the faith of that little prayer. This Jesus that he's talking to is dying right next to him under a sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. Everyone else is laughing. But this criminal somehow, by the spirit of God, his eyes have been opened. And he's like, maybe, just maybe, I believe this Jesus can and will save the world. And when you do, Jesus, not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, not because I lived a life that I was worthy, but because you're so good, you're so loving, you're such a great king that's above every other king. Jesus, would you please, from this place of humility, would you please remember me? That's all he says. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. I don't know if you've ever heard that story. I don't know if it prompts any questions in your mind. I got lots of questions about what Jesus just said. Okay, let's just stop for a second. Maybe you just glossed over it. Today? Like today, how is it today? How, how could it be today? Like does that mean that when they died, because that was Saturday, when they died, did they wake up Sunday or was it like they went to the grave or they went to the holding place or Sheol or Abaddon or crazy complex things? How is it today? I don't know. I don't understand that part. What about paradise? What's he talking about? Well, the Greek word for paradise is the same word, the Septuagint, the Greek Hebrew Bible, that word paradise is the exact same word, Garden of Eden. So Jesus is like, today you're gonna be with me in the Garden of Eden. That's a different message about heaven. But that's like, wow. But the real thing that makes this powerful that I want you and I to see, because I think the thing that changes you and me about this little story, there are a lot of things that change, but the thing I wanna focus on is with me. The greatest promise of all the promises he made there was, you're gonna be with me. And I think the thing that's so challenging for us 
in moments of tension, in moments of difficulty, when we look at the condition of the world or the condition of our lives, we wrestle, is he really with me? Where did he go? If he was here, we wouldn't be hurting. If he was here, we wouldn't be struggling. If he was here in my family, we wouldn't have to go through this. And the truth is, oh, he's with you and he never left you and his kingdom can advance in you and through you. See, we live in this tension because both of these things are true. See, Jesus has come. His kingdom has come. There's clear evidence. See, all of the Jews expected Jesus to come at the end of history. He came in the middle of history and brought his kingdom and his power and his healing and his redemption. All that's available now. And we realize that at some level. But the thing that makes it tense is there's also this aspect that he will come. We, we all know deeply Something's broken in the world that needs to be redeemed and fixed and restored, and you long and I long for that to happen, and we pray and we grieve and we wish and we dream. So we live in this tension between two things. Our lives exist between the fact that he has come and he will come, and the truth is, understanding the already not yet of the kingdom gives me God's perspective on both the present and the future. Here's why this is so important. I don't know which group, most people fall in one group or the other. The people who say, well, Jesus has come, they're very focused, they're very fixed on because Jesus has come, there shouldn't be any problems, and, and, and they're very fixated on it, but the person over here is like, well, he will come, and it's like some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. They're trying to leave, they're trying to get out. You might say, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And so that person needs to come back and be like, we appreciate that. Someday it's going to be fixed. But how do we make today a little bit more like someday? And then we're on this side, the person who's like, we got to solve it. we got to fix it. we got to make laws and do this and change. And we got to bring it. He brought his kingdom, so we have to bring it. And we get so frustrated because we try to make the kingdom happen in our earthly willpower instead of asking for his eternal promise and his grace. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can feel some of that. Like, I don't know which one is more like you. Are you the kind of person who kind of white knuckles and grinds it and tries to make it happen? Or are you the person who kind of goes like, well, someday somebody else will figure that out. Wherever side of it you're on, the tension is God bringing you back to the place where he's working and moving. I want to make this as practical as I can before I pray for you. How do we live in the tension? It's not going away. So you and I have to figure out how do we live in this tension? Well, the first thing is because the kingdom has come, we have God's grace to face every trial. We have God's grace to face every trial. So I, I want you to see there, I don't know about you, I'm the kind of person who, when things are broken, my immediate thought is, well, let's figure out why it's broken, let's figure out the cause, and then let's figure out who did it, and then let's deal with those rascals, right? Like, that's the way my brain works. And I'd love to say you that it's, to tell you it's super effective. It rarely is productive, especially in my home. I don't know if you can relate to this. It'll be like, well, this is broken. Well, who broke it? Well, the, one kid did this, the other kid did this. I told you that was gonna happen. My wife looks at me, it's like, what do you want me to say? Like, congratulations for solving the problem. But that's only step one. Step two, the important thing is fixing the problem, right? And so we want to blame and figure out and assign as if somehow just telling somebody it's your fault solves the problem. It doesn't. That's why grace is so important. See, let me make this real for you because many of you, you, you think you're more effective than you really are. You're, you're my white knuckle, get it done, I'll show you willpower kind of people and I love you and I'm one of you. 
You're the kind of person who's just like, I'll just go work harder and I'll, we'll sleep when we're dead, right? I, I'm with you. I'm the kind of guy who rides the bike with the clips on and it's like, I'm gonna go harder, I'm gonna go harder. And then until you get a cramp when you're clipped in. And then there's nowhere to go. You just yell. I don't recommend it. See, going harder eventually leads to you breaking down. So it's the grace piece. The grace is you coming to the end of yourself. Maybe this sounds familiar to some of you. Have you ever said, man, I've never seen my business do better. I've never seen my promotion opportunities at work go greater. I've never seen, man, it feels like everything is perfect in my work environment, but the moment I come home, I feel like I can't do anything right, and every choice I make ends up being the wrong choice. If you've ever lived that life, all the, all the success, all the promotion doesn't solve the problem where the people that you love the most are. Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe, maybe things at home are really good and you're like, things are so good at home, but I can't seem to find any traction. Why can't I find the right job or why is my boss so difficult? And you realize coming to the end of yourself, you, you go, man, I, I just don't have it in me to fix this or to solve this. And the truth is, kingdom people realize it's not on us to make the perfect life. And when we come to moments, we go, God, I need you. I don't know how to solve this. And I'm desperate for you. You realize he's been with you the whole time. Last night after the service, I was talking to a man. He waited to talk with me. And he's like, Jed, he's like, in so many ways since prepare, in my own spiritual journey and in my own walk with God, I've never felt closer to him. But I've been praying for my son and I felt like it's never been harder or more difficult for my adult son and he said, how can you explain this? And I said, I hate to tell you this. This is normal. This is kingdom life. But this is a gift that God's moving. And we're, let's stand and pray together that God can move through this situation. See, the fact that there are challenges and trials in your life is not a sign that God's abandoned you. It's a sign that he's drawn you deeper into trusting relationship with him. Here's the second thing. Because the kingdom will come, we have hope no matter what happens. See, the truth is, you and I, we don't have to try to lose hope. We're really good at it. Hope's like that balloon, right? Like you blow up a balloon, and those balloons just kind of deflate over time. They just, the air just, it just naturally does. And if there's not a source that's adding hope to your situation, think of it this way. You're, you know this. I've told you this before. You have a negativity bias. You, you, you need five positive things to outweigh one negative thing in your brain between four and five, because our brains fixate on the negative. I don't know why, they just do. And so when things are negative, when things are difficult, when you have a difficult view of the future, you tend to be discouraged, you tend to feel isolated, you tend to feel frustrated, more common. This is not just what the Bible says. The brightest psychological minds in our world today have come to the same conclusion. There's a man named Marty Seligman, brilliant psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, really a genius in his field. And recently he was doing a study. He wanted to know the correlation between mental health and social media. Thank God somebody's studying it. Anyways, um, no one liked that. All right, maybe I just think about these things. Okay, so he looked at people who were mentally happy, fulfilled, and he's like, I wonder what the kind of things they post online are. And remember, he's not a believer, and this is the word cloud of the most common words that people who are fulfilled and happy and felt like things were going good in their lives. Wonderful, awesome, amazing, thanksgiving, prayers, blessed, faith, God, praying. Not a believer, but he's like, look, this is what the data says. 
Then he's like, what about people who are struggling? What about people who are having a difficult time? Frustration, anger, emotion, stress. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. Hazlitt, I want you to think about it this way. Kingdom people are not naive. Kingdom people don't live with their head in the sand, totally oblivious to the problems of the world, but they're also not disengaged, meaning they're not thinking of somebody else's solutions, they're trusting in God's solutions to fix the problem. Are you saying, Jed, if I'm a kingdom per person and the answer to this tension is just to pretend nothing bad is happening in the world? That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, don't make it worse than it needs to be and fixate on the good things instead of the bad things. Paul, when he was in prison, wrote this. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This does not come natural to you and I. The other day I was talking to somebody. They're like, Pastor Jed, will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? I've been feeling a little anxious. I was like, okay, yeah, anxiety, worry, that a lot of people deal with that. He's like, man, but I've just been really anxious. My sleep's been bad. I just can't seem to get over it. I was like, well, tell me a little bit about your life. What, do you, what, is a date, what does an average day look like? He's like, I don't know. You know, I'm at work and I'm doing different things. And, you know, at work I get a little bit tired. I get that afternoon lag. So I hit a couple iced coffees. Maybe I take a couple, you know, Celsius and two at a time, you know, get through the day. I was like, well, then what do you do after that? Well, you know, get home after work and, you know, on the way home, listen to a, a podcast and it's a true crime podcast, and then when I get home, maybe to relax, I watch a zombie show, and then maybe if I have a little time after that, I watch a documentary on serial killers. I was like, okay, hang on a minute. <laughs> He's not the only one. Uh, anyways, somebody said that after last service. They were like, man, why do you have to go so hard on us? But here, here's the point. I was like, like, think about this. Okay, we're anxious and we're worried. We're shotgunning Celsius. We're drinking iced coffee, we're listening to true crime podcasts, we're watching zombie shows, and we're watching documentaries on serial killers. He's like, yeah, it's fascinating, they're really well done. I was like, that's not the point. You need to mix in some veggie tales. Like, <laughs> somehow, like, bro, I, I could pray for you and encourage you, but you're fixating on the wrong things. Like, I get it, understand what's happening in the world, but maybe laugh every once in a while. Maybe like think about something fun. Maybe like fixate on something good or, and, and again, you watch whatever you want to watch, but it's between you and the Lord. But, but remember, why would we put things in our head when we live in a broken world? We don't need extra pain. I don't need make-believe problems. I got plenty of real world problems and so I, I wanna fill my heart, I wanna fill my mind, not to be naive, not to be disengaged with the challenges of the world because they're real, but I wanna fill my heart with what's gonna bring me towards joy and hope. Here's the third thing. Because God always prioritizes people, no one is too far from the kingdom. You say, Jed, why, why would Jesus allow evil in the world? He tells a story, a famous story about the wheat and the tares and how he allows both of them to grow up together. Tares is just an old-fashioned word for weeds. Wheat and weeds are growing together, and the weeds think they're wheat, and the wheat think they're weeds, and they're just mixed up in there, and it's like, why does he let them grow? Because he's willing to endure the weeds in order for the wheat. And it's like, well, are you calling me a weed, Jed? Well, according to Jesus, and it's, it's him, it's not me. We all start as weeds. But the amazing thing about the kingdom of God is it's not a moral system, it's not an ideology 
It's a supernatural place where we can be born again. And we might have been born a weed, but we can become wheat. We might have been born an enemy of God, but we can be transformed into a son or daughter of the king. We might have been on the outside, and we can be brought on the inside, not by trying harder, but by putting our trust in Jesus. Why does evil exist in the world? Because God is not done adding to his family. The moment he brings it to an end, there is no evangelism in heaven. He's not done. He loves people so much that he's willing to personally endure the pain of evil. And he feels it in a way exponentially greater than you and I do. And he's willing to endure that because he loves you and he loves me. He's not done adding to his family and he's not done in your family or my family. 2 Peter 3.9 says it this way, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. You're like, what does that mean? Well, right before it says that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Peter's writing to people who are suffering and they're saying, Peter, why is it taking so long? And Peter says, look at this. Lord's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The next verse says he'll come like a thief in the night. You know, I'm getting older. Talk about good news, bad news. It's like, yay, happy birthday. Bad news, you're 50. And um, <laughs> your body starts to do things you don't want it to. It's, it's, it's all downhill from here, according to my kids. Um, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You, you get a little bit older, you start to reflect. You start to realize the things that you thought were really cool and hip like 35 years ago. And uh, you start to realize, man, this life, it's a breath. It's what the Bible says. It's a blink. It happens so fast. When God's doing something great, our temptation is, what else you got, God? Show me something even cooler. But, but I think the older you get, the more you realize, I, I don't want to miss it. I, I, maybe just... Stay here for a second to see what God's doing. I, I gotta tell you, not as a pastor, not as someone who has the privilege to stand up here and speak to you, but just as a member of our church, seeing person after person after person after person give their lives to Jesus. Is the world broken? Yes. Is there injustice? Are there things that make all of us grieve and weep because of it? Yes. But has God stopped being good? Has he stopped extending his faithfulness to people like Jenna, whose mom dies early of cancer? So many ways she could have responded. But just like that person on the cross, she said, Lord, would you remember me? I'll humble myself. I don't know why. But you gave me this new stepmom and my friends invited me to elevate. I didn't even know where I was going, but..." When I was going, I wasn't expecting it, but I found you and I realized you were with me. Story like that is happening to person after person after person. You say, Jed, as you get a little bit older, you ever think about heaven sometimes? I think we all do. I like to think about it this way. I'm homesick for a place I've never been. I'll tell you this, you say, Jed, what's heaven like? I got a lot of speculation. I can't tell you definitively. I can't tell you it's better than you could ever imagine. And the older you get, you realize you have more and more people on that side. You start to think about it more and more. 
But as long as we're here, as long as we're in this place, in the tension of the bad and the good right next to each other, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my time trying to speculate why. I just want to be close to Jesus and see what he can do in the lives of people who need him so desperately. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't stay out of the mess of our world. Lord, you got so close. You came right to ground zero. Lord, you came to the place where things were darkest and most difficult and most evil and the most suffering, and you brought your kingdom to that place. Lord, instead of trying to explain why, Lord, we choose to take comfort. But I pray every one of us would find comfort and encouragement from you, that you're with us. In our moments of greatest tension, we find our greatest intimacy with you. Maybe you're here and you didn't know this is what Jesus' message was. Maybe you're watching online or, or in McKinney or in, or in our video venue and, and you've never prayed that prayer. You thought I was supposed to do a bunch of Christian stuff for God. You never realized it was just, Jesus, will you remember me? Will you receive me into your kingdom? Maybe make that your prayer today. If you pray that prayer, in your own words, say, Jesus, I receive you into my life. I would encourage you to tell somebody, come down front, there'll be people to pray with you. But, but if you've prayed that prayer, I want you to think about this. Where in your life are you experiencing tension? Have you spent too much energy trying to solve it yourself or trying to ignore the problem? Or have you allowed yourself to be drawn near to that Jesus who's with you? God, I'm asking for all of us in that stretching place, in that place of tension, would experience your goodness, your peace, your love, a greater measure of your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.